Chapters twenty six and twenty seven of Taken at the Flood by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Twenty six. Mr. Bain pleads the cause of the widow. Sir Aubrey, always an early riser, breakfasted a little earlier than usual on the morning after his interview with Sylvia, and mounted his favourite splinter directly after breakfast to ride into Monkhampton the day was dull and cloudy and the landscape had not its usual smile as he walked his horse along the hilly road between periham and the market-town rather a quiet place monkhampton at this hour of the morning there were two or three sleek vestrymen lounging near the door of that uninviting building the vestry hall disputing about sewer rates and the advisability or non-advisability of an additional twopence in the pound lately appointed discussion the bells were ringing for a week-day service and a few respectable matrons and a sprinkling of young ladies might be seen wending their way to the parish church but commerce seemed to be hardly awake in monkhampton at a quarter past ten in the morning sir aubrey drew rein at a house near the beginning of the high street in a neighbourhood where the town touched the border of the country and where the houses boasted larger gardens than in the heart of monkhampton the house before which the baronet stopped was strong and solid and square and respectable a house which insolvency could never have inhabited one might fancy so boldly did it stare the world in the face so aggressive was the look of its tall iron railings it was built of dull yellow bricks picked out with red and had three rows of windows five in a row on the two upper floors two on each side of the hall door the steps were as white as hearthstone could make them the windows as bright as if they had been cleaned that morning but no flower-pot no bird-cage no frivolity of any kind decorated those windows the two on the left of the door were draped with crimson curtains of a substantial marine that assumed the stiffest straightest folds possible to a textile fabric the windows on the right were screened as to the lower panes by wire blinds stern barriers against the prying gaze of passers-by blinds which said as plain as words could speak we guard the sanctity of a lawyer's office on the large brass plate which gave additional dignity to the stout oak street door appeared the following inscription mr shadrach bain solicitor and land agent sir aubrey gave splinter to his groom turned the brazen handle of mr bain's door and went in without further ceremony the houses in monkhampton were as a rule thus accessible to the public and sir aubrey was familiar with the habits of his agent the door on the right of the entrance had the word office painted on its panels in severe-looking black letters this door sir aubrey opened and confronted his land steward who was seated at a desk opposite the door plodding through a lease with a pencil in his mouth ready to take note of any flaw in the agreement shadrach bain was a man of that doubtful and indefinite age which is sometimes called the prime of life time had as yet traced no wrinkle on the land steward's brow amply provided with those organs of calculation and perception which assist the pursuit of gain his hard grey eyes had the clear brightness of perfect health his dark brown hair still thickly thatched his head his complexion had a ruddy brownness not unpleasant to the eye a hue that told of long rides in the fresh morning air rather than of the midnight lamp he was tall broad-shouldered well-built and like the miltonian satan stood like a tower among his fellow-men he dressed well but cultivated rather the outward aspect of a small squire than the sombre attire of the learned professions he liked when he went a little beyond his own beat to be hailed as squire by railway porters and the commonalty he had bushy brown whiskers a close-shaved lip and chin 
wore a suit of heather tweed a blue cravat and a plated leather watch-chain he rose briskly at sight of his patron wheeled forward the one comfortable chair of the office and shut a door which communicated with an inner room whence the scratching of the clerk's pens had been audible as the baronet entered this is an unexpected honour sir aubrey he said in a cheery tone as the baronet shook hands with him sir aubrey did not always greet his agent so warmly there were times when he appeared to consider a friendly nod sufficient and mr bain never invited more familiarity than his patron offered he took condescensions from sir aubrey as wise heathens took the gifts of the gods but to-day his employer was more than commonly cordial and mr bain augured that there was something in the wind i breakfast at seven all the year round said mr bain as his visitor settled himself in the armchair but one doesn't expect to see you in monkhampton before noon i came early because i have something rather particular to say to you bain answered the baronet playing with the tassel of his riding-whip i don't suppose it'll surprise you for it was a thing to be anticipated sooner or later for although a man has come to <clears throat> between fifty and sixty there's no necessity for him to spend all his days in solitude shadrach bain dropped his pencil and looked at his employer steadily with those penetrating eyes of his those grey orbs which with little expression except keenness seem to have more seeing power than any other eyes mr bain began to wonder if the baronet might not just be a little weak in his head like mordred who was popularly supposed to be not quite rational his mind was beginning to fail perhaps poor old gentleman and he was thinking of going into a monastery or turning plymouth brother there needn't be much solitude at perriam sir aubrey said mr bain people would be glad enough to come and see you if you asked them though i don't say but what hospitality or keeping open house as people call it would make away with no end of money money which would be better employed in enlarging the estate as sir andrew did before you there's the combe farm must come into the market when old parker dies it joins our land at wapshot you know sir aubrey and would be a very nice addition to your property we'll talk about combe when it is in the market replied sir aubrey with a touch of offended dignity he thought his steward ought to have been quicker to understand him i am not talking of county society of course i could fill my house with people if i chose and as you say squander a great deal of money upon visitors who would hardly thank me for my hospitality but i don't at all desire society of that kind when i spoke just now of solitude i meant the solitude of a bachelor the only companionship i wish for is that of a wife i could love the baronet pronounced the last word reluctantly no girl of seventeen could have uttered the portentous syllable more coyly mr bain's countenance changed not at this announcement very early in life had mr bain brought his facial muscles into complete subjection they were too well trained to betray him but his broad strong hand gripped the rail of his chair with a somewhat savage grasp the hand was behind his back and sir aubrey could not see the action you have some idea of marrying said mr bain with a smile that cold smile which comes and goes at the bidding of the smiler chill as wintry sunlight i have more than an idea shadrach i am going to be married on the twentieth of august next august of course do you suppose i'm going to put my wedding off for a year what need i wait for nothing certainly as regards pecuniary arrangements but this seems uncommonly sudden 
you have known the lady a long time no doubt i have known her long enough to love her should i be impertinent if i asked who she is not at all i came this morning to arrange the question of a settlement but you understand bain that what a man tells his solicitor is sacred of course the fact is i don't want anyone in monkhampton to know that i'm going to be married i don't want the affair to be so much as suspected till it's all over i hate talk and fuss and to be stared at or whispered about no doubt people will be surprised at my marriage but they can have their fill of surprise when i am away for my honeymoon and get accustomed to the fact before i come back there is hardly any occasion for surprise sir aubrey except at the suddenness of the business said mr bain with his most deferential air the match is a suitable one no doubt i'll trouble you to reserve your doubts and your speculations till you know all about it resumed the baronet testily the match is not what society may call suitable the match is what the world generally ridicules in young or old a love match the young lady a lady in everything except position is beneath me in station old idiot he has fallen in love with some pretty housemaid or a circus rider or a french actress thought mr bain not yet relaxing his grasp of the chair-rail the young lady is the only daughter of mr carew the parish schoolmaster at Headingham," said sir aubrey the parish schoolmaster's daughter why that's the young lady whom young standon was sweet upon my daughter matilda jane heard something about it at the Headingham fancy fair i beg leave to suggest that sweet upon is not a phrase i care to hear in relation to my future wife remonstrated the baronet stiffly i am fully aware that mr standon wished to marry miss carew and was rejected by her father he rejected edmund standon of dean house that's curious however if the young lady was engaged to you sir aubrey that explains matters she was not engaged to me at the time of mr standon's proposal that young man's offer was rejected on its own merits indeed well i hope my daughters may be as lucky when their time comes you are perhaps not aware that miss carew is a young lady of exceptional beauty said sir aubrey with ever-increasing stiffness a lady who might have won the affections of a gentleman of even more exalted position than my own she is very young i suppose between nineteen and twenty i should have thought whatever the merits of the lady a somewhat longer engagement would have been advisable of course i don't presume to offer my advice sir aubrey sir returned the baronet with a freezing look this is a matter in which i ask advice from no man mr bain murmured an apology sir aubrey recovered his temper he felt elated even for he felt that he had put down mr bain he had come to that office not without trepidation had felt himself blushing as he rode along the empty lanes and he was glad to think that he had been able to assert himself thus boldly now with regard to the settlement he said with his usual friendliness of manner i have come to the determination to settle nothing upon my wife during my lifetime if her affection for me be as sincere as i venture to consider it she will be content to owe all to my bounty she will not want to squander my money to settle an income upon her for her own separate use would be in a manner to instil extravagance true sir aubrey said mr bain with approval 
but in that case i don't see that you want a settlement at all you forget the disparity of years between miss carew and myself i am bound to provide for her after my death you could do that by will certainly but i prefer to make her future secure by an immediate settlement i gratify myself by leaving her dependent upon my liberality so long as i live but i wish to show myself capable of generosity after death said mr bain finishing the sentence my wife will look to me for all she needs but i shall amply provide for the independence of my widow returned the baronet i understand then we have only to settle what portion of your estate you will charge with this provision you would be able to leave lady perriam how much i have been thinking that uh, two thousand a year said sir aubrey meditatively a poor provision for a lady accustomed to the occupation of perriam i do not spend more than four thousand at perriam perhaps not but after your marriage things will be different were you now spend four thousand i dare say you'll spend ten sir aubrey shook his head i beg your pardon he said there will be no difference a man doesn't change his habits after fifty were i to marry a fashionable young woman accustomed to the dissipations of the london season i might be expected to alter my mode of living to launch out in some absurd manner refurnish perriam with your tawdry modern rubbish set up a house in town and so on but i marry a young lady who has no pretensions who is simply the loveliest girl i ever saw a violet which hides itself in the shelter of its leaves as somebody once remarked of someone else what perriam has been in the past perriam will continue to be in the future until it passes to its next possessor your son perhaps suggested mr bain who had been thinking profoundly while sir aubrey expounded his views that strong saxon face looked almost handsome when the man thought there was such a strength of purpose in it the clear grey eyes clouded as the man's gaze no longer penetrating the surface of actual things surveyed those impalpable shadows which make the vision of things to be my son if god blesses me with children replied sir aubrey reverently i don't think two thousand is enough for a man in your position to leave his widow said mr bain presently he was to some extent a privileged person and could speak as plainly as he chose to sir aubrey he had frequent occasion to demonstrate that he knew the baronet's interests a great deal better than the baronet himself understood them and had thus acquired a certain empire over the weaker brain of his employer two thousand a year is a large income for mr carew's daughter said sir aubrey thoughtfully but a paltry pittance for sir aubrey perriam's widow returned the other why should you stint this lady you love her and if she brings you no children all you do not leave to her will go to your distant relative a man for whom you don't care two straws not one said sir aubrey the bulk of the estate is entailed and must go to mr horace perriam after your brother's death that is to say and his life is not so good as your own but there's a large remainder that is not in the entail all the land bought by sir andrew and the warren estate which you inherited from your mother why not act handsomely towards this lady in the matter of a future provision why not leave her five thousand a year chargeable on the warren estate and on the feldrake and the coppice farms sir aubrey opened his eyes in a blank stare 
he had expected all kinds of opposition from shadrach bain and most of all had he expected to be opposed in the matter of the settlement and here was shadrach bain pleading the cause of the future lady Perriam, a person he had never seen if his own statement were to be trusted five thousand a year for a schoolmaster's daughter said the baronet feebly five thousand a year for lady Perriam, replied the steward if she is worthy of your confidence and your affection she is worthy of your liberality most men in my position would look at this question from a solicitor's point of view and counsel meanness i recommend liberality if you have no children strangers or those who are no nearer to you than strangers will come after you why should you pinch the wife of your choice to fatten strangers you cannot be too generous to lady Perriam after your death true murmured sir aubrey impressed by this mode of argument i shall be none the poorer it will make no difference to me in my grave whether she has two thousand or five thousand but if the dead are capable of thinking about the world they leave behind them it would vex me to think that horace Perriam had everything of course it would shall i draw up a draft of the deed of settlement and bring it to Perriam place this evening yes bring it this evening mr carew and his daughter are to dine with me by the way don't say anything about it before them i might change my mind as to the amount after all it would be always in my power to provide for my widow by will the settlement is only a matter of form to satisfy the father who no doubt wants to see his daughter's future secured if you doubt the lady make no settlement said mr bain decisively if you believe in her make her a handsome one believe in her cried the baronet flashing out indignantly do you suppose i should marry her if i did not believe her to be all that is good and pure and high-minded you have known her so short a time sir there are intuitions exclaimed sir aubrey solemnly then settle the five thousand and back your opinion as the racing men say so be it draw up the draft and let me have it for consideration there will be plenty of time for execution between this and the marriage oh by the by there's one document you can make as plain and as brief as you please an agreement promising to pay mr james carew a hundred a year in quarterly instalments during the remainder of his life i can't have my father-in-law a parish schoolmaster i give him a maintenance which will support him in comfort and decency for the rest of his days perhaps you'll ask me to make it five hundred added the baronet with some asperity no sir aubrey a hundred a year for the father i consider ample i hope i have not offended by my regard for the interests of the future lady Perriam. no bain you're a good fellow i know and devoted to your employer as your father was before you i like you for taking miss carew's part i'm obliged to you i thought you would have echoed the parrot cry about disparity of years unsuitability of tempers and so on i like you for taking my future wife's part against me why should the heir at law get more than he is strictly entitled to he'll get the benefit of all my father's improvements on the estate proper gad he shall not have an acre of the land we've added i'll settle five thousand on sylvia and i dare say i shall leave her a good deal more if she makes me as good a wife as i believe she will good day bain you may as well come to dinner by the way come at six and we shall have an hour for going through the settlement before the carews arrive mr bain professed himself happy to obey any commands of sir aubrey 
he generally dined at Parium once or twice a year when there was some odd bit of land in the market or some important lease to be renewed the invitation was understood to be a condescension on sir aubrey's part despite mr bayne's professional status and legal right to the title of gentleman mrs bayne had never been invited with her husband and in mrs bayne's particular circle the baronet was set down as a proud man he wouldn't have the income he has if it wasn't for bayne the lady would observe to her gossips but he hasn't a spark of gratitude in his nature he'll take off his hat to me in my own hall as politely as a sir chesterfield walpole but never so much as open his lips to wish me good morning mr bayne accompanied his employer into the street and stood on the pavement while sir aubrey mounted splinter whose sleek neck mr bayne patted approvingly i wish i could get such a horse as that sir aubrey i'm generally pretty fortunate in horseflesh but i never met with anything to match him sir aubrey smiled and bent over splinter affectionately six o'clock bayne he said six o'clock sir aubrey and sir aubrey shook his rein and rode gaily down the high street pleased with the easy manner in which shadrach bayne had taken the announcement of his marriage twenty seven the steward in the bosom of his family mr bayne went back to his office seated himself at his desk and gave himself up to deepest thought it was not often that mr bayne thought his active prosperous life was too busy to allow much margin for meditation no twilight hour did mr bayne waste on those waking dreams in which some men let their fancies wander pleased with shadows nor did sad retrospective musings tender memories of days that were gone ever beguile mr bayne into forgetfulness of the present he was a man who lived essentially in the life of to-day the business in hand however petty was the supreme business of his existence he brought all his forces into life's daily battle and it was perhaps on this account that no one ever took him at a disadvantage but when shadrach bayne did think he thought with all his might see him now elbows planted on his desk chin set firmly on his clasped hands and you see a man with whom thought is the impalpable scaffolding of a substantial edifice the man does not think only he builds the constructive faculty strongest organ in that strong brain is hard at work the closely knit brows denote that the architectural design in hand just now is complicated there are difficulties even for some time the thing seems impossible then the keen eyes take a more resolute look the firm lips tighten and now relax into a slow smile the difficulties are conquered the airy scaffolding stands firm he sees it perfect in every angle and the smile becomes almost triumphant the plan of his future edifice is complete take thy bill and sit down quickly and write fifty repeated mr bayne in a musing tone i think i have made friends with the mammon of uprighteousness this morning it was some time before sir aubrey's land steward settled to his daily work in his usual brisk manner he opened a handsome japanned case on which were painted the magical words parium estate and looked over a number of title deeds some he threw on his left hand and others on his right until the parchments made two separate heaps on one of these he laid his hand firmly all these my father and i added to the estate he said to himself and it seemed to him that sir andrew and his son sir aubrey were as ciphers when weighed in the balance with his father and himself why not five thousand a year he mused why not seven 
but no doubt sir aubrey will leave her all he has to leave if she behaves well to him what could a weak little thing like that do to offend him a parish schoolmaster's daughter i saw her once standing at the gate of the schoolhouse garden a slim fair-haired girl with brown eyes pretty enough i dare say but i was driving too fast to take much notice a girl that could be moulded to anything no doubt they'll be a fine estate by the time she's a widow a fine independent estate and if the heir at law should turn me out of the old property i shall still have my grip upon Perriam. rarely had shadrach bane spent so much time upon meditation upon thought which soared out of the narrow circle of the present into the wide cloudland of the future as he spent this morning he had no actual work no file of sharp short decisive letters ready for the copying machine to show for his departed morning when the brazen tongue of the family bell gave note of the one o'clock dinner he started up from his chair with a surprised look and made haste to wash his hands at the well-appointed lavatory in a little room beyond the clerk's office it was an established rule in monkhampton strict as jewish law that the middle classes the simple respectable people who prided themselves on their simplicity and respectability should dine at one o'clock however laggard appetite might be the family board was spread with plain substantial fare at that particular hour families who hungered after fashion or even what was called gentility might dine later if they pleased might have an untidy scrambling meal in the middle of the day called luncheon and an early supper at seven disguised under the name of dinner and call that fashion by so doing they cut themselves off from those prouder burghers who clung tenaciously to the manners and customs of their forefathers mr bain was of the old school and though there had been vague half-expressed aspirations on the part of his daughters for late dinners and equestrian exercise those yearnings had been stifled in the birth neither matilda jane nor clara louisa had dared to give them utterance in their father's hearing the dining-room that apartment whose crimson moreen curtains were visible from the street was a comfortable square room with panelled walls painted and grained in the semblance of dark oak and graced with family portraiture in which the high waists and floral headgear the buff waistcoats ponderous watch-chains and formidable shirt-frills of the george and william period were preserved in effigy for the gratification of posterity the furniture was of the same era and was as solid as it was ugly the silver of the neatly laid dinner-table was of the puritanic fiddle-pattern the delft dinner-service was of honest willow but a superior willow relieved about the rims and handles of vegetable dishes and soup tureens with a little gilding the damask napery was of spotless purity everything indicated that honest middle-class prosperity which follows not the changes of fashion housekeeping which goes on to-day exactly as it was begun twenty years ago had mr bain been of an epicurean temper he might have made some murmur against the placid monotony of his daily fare the endless procession of legs of mutton and wing-ribs of beef varied occasionally by a roast of pork a sabbath fillet of veal a michaelmas goose a saturday beefsteak pie but if not altogether an intellectual man mr bain was certainly not a slave to his senses and provided he ate when he was hungry cared but little with what viands he was fed the joint was well cooked and cleanly served the potatoes were well boiled and the cook had her gamut of substantial old english puddings with which to embellish the meal pudding every other day was the rule of the bain household they could quite as well have afforded themselves pudding every day but mrs bain who looked at life from a pious standpoint considered daily pudding a pampering of the flesh 
there was always a blank look upon the faces of the younger members on off days and mrs bain felt that those lenten deprivations all the year round were a blessing to her offspring a provident wife and a thoughtful mother of the old puritan type this mrs bain and her husband felt that in louisa docker he had secured a treasure even putting her six thousand pounds out of the question unhappily for the last three years mrs bain had been more or less of an invalid obliged to wear a respirator all the winter unable to go out of doors after sunset even in summer keeping her bed at times and suffering much from complicated ailments of lungs and throat which as the family doctor had whispered must some day prove fatal but bearing up bravely through all and keeping her husband's house vigilantly even when illness made her a prisoner in her bedroom summer was a kindly season for mrs bain and while the warm weather lasted she seemed tolerably brisk and took her seat at the head of the table and carved the joint for the seven healthy sons and daughters mr bain not caring to be troubled by the wants of these young ravens he liked to review his morning's work and plan his afternoon's labours as he ate his dinner mrs bain was a small pale woman with an honest intelligent face and dark eyes that had a pleasant softness in them she had never been pretty and failing health had now set the stamp of decay on her pallid countenance but she looked what she was a good woman her children loved her despite her somewhat puritan rule which exacted a good deal of self-denial from these young people and her husband respected her to-day the head of the household ate with less than his usual healthy appetite so languidly indeed did mr bain ply his knife and fork as to draw upon himself the notice of his family aren't you well father asked matilda jane the eldest daughter you're hardly eating anything i hope the beef isn't too much done for you father said the house-mother with affectionate solicitude i always tell betsy to do it with the gravy in and it's a very fine wing rib to-day the joint weighed fifteen pounds eleven ounces i saw it in the scale myself the beef's very good mother but i've not much of an appetite and this is only to be my luncheon i'm to dine with sir aubrey at seven another lease i suppose something in that way replied shadrach i heard sir aubrey's horse stop before our door while i was in the kitchen talking to cook said mrs bain and i thought it must be something particular to bring him here so early it was some rather important business replied the lawyer the family evinced no curiosity leases and small purchases of land alterations improvements drainage waste bits of ground reclaimed were not subjects to engage the interest of the female mind mr bain's sons were too young to sympathize with his industry their minds were absorbed by football cricket and the fourth book of the aeneid no one questioned him further about sir aubrey's visit you were at headingham fancy fair you two girls weren't you asked mr bain presently yes father replied the elder mrs thomas toynbee asked us to go with her daughters the toynbees are church of england people you know and mr thomas toynbee is first cousin to mr toynbee of eddingham the rich manufacturer mother said we might go she thought you wouldn't mind for once in a way though they're not chapel people i've no objection said mr bain did you see miss miss carew i think it is the schoolmaster's daughter while you were there yes father we went into the orchard to see the children at tea and she was there a very pretty girl isn't she inquired mr bain his daughters looked at each other and deliberated that's a matter of taste father said clara louisa she's not my style of beauty said matilda jane but i suppose some people admire her added clara louisa 
for it is the common talk that mr stanton of deanhouse is in love with her and is most likely to marry her if his mother doesn't interfere to prevent him do you know anything about this miss carew you've heard people talk about her it seems have you ever heard what kind of a girl she is lord no father you don't suppose i know anybody who knows her a parish schoolmaster's daughter the miss toynbees of eddingham teach in the sunday school sometimes and they told their cousins that they considered sylvia carew excessively vain and very much above her station in all her notions a girl who wanted setting down that's what the miss toynbees said huh said mr bain that's what the miss toynbees said is it and then within himself he reflected that perhaps it would be sylvia's privilege to set down the miss toynbees rather than to be set down by them not a hint of sir aubrey's marriage did shadrach bane give to his family circle sir aubrey had announced that event to him in the strictest confidence and the agent showed himself worthy of the trust he was hardly up to his usual standard of mental activity all that afternoon this business of sir aubrey's marriage was too startling to be easily put out of his mind he wrote letters looked over the rent-book saw two or three monkhampton clients and got through his work tolerably well but his mind was only half in it he was glad when it was time to order the dog-cart for his drive to perriam glad to turn his back upon the common work of the office and go up to his own room to dress he looked as good a gentleman as the best in monkhampton when he came downstairs at a quarter past five clad in a suit of plainest black with neat boots slender watch-chain faultless shirt-front of unadorned linen clean well brushed a model country gentleman thus attired his family looked up to him with reverential admiration how well you would look in the pulpit father dressed like that said matilda jane mr bain smiled as he adjusted his neckcloth before the looking-glass over the dining-room chimney-piece while his admiring family sat round the table taking their tea how much better i should look in the house of commons he said to himself not ill-pleased with his own image in the glass and who knows what may happen if i keep my grip upon the perriam property do you think you shall be late shadrach asked mrs bain meekly there was no such thing as a latchkey in the bain household the head of the family was all sobriety and steadiness but he was the undisputed master of his ways and if he chose for some wise purpose of his own to stay out late nobody would question his right no my dear sir aubrey never sits up late as you know i thought there might be a party shadrach party cried mr bain as if sir aubrey ever asked me to his parties or ever gave any for the matter of that what could put such a notion into your head louisa i don't know answered mrs bain you've dressed more particularly than usual that's the last new suit fraser sent you home isn't it you said you shouldn't begin to wear it just yet the old one's an uncomfortable fit besides what's the use of having good clothes lying hidden in a chest of drawers there's the trap good-bye louisa good-bye girls and boys End of chapters twenty six and twenty seven